Greetings this morning in Jesus' precious name. Blessing it is to be here this morning. Worship together with each one of you. I appreciate that last song. Spirit of God, descend. Thy people wait for thee. Trust that's the uh, posture of our hearts this morning. <clears throat> Waiting upon the Lord that he would uh, that he would meet our needs and give us a blessing. That's my desire this morning. <clears throat> Why don't we, uh, if we could rise and have a couple brothers lead out in prayer, and I'll close. Yes, Heavenly Father, we continue calling upon you this morning. God, we ask that you would come and meet with us here today, this morning, Father, as we open your word and we endeavor to uh, to learn what we can from the words that you have spoken to us. Father, I pray that it would speak life to our hearts, that it would speak uh, it would speak joy and peace, and Father, that we could be uh, that we could be changed this morning, Father, and be made more like you. And just pray that you would uh, you would drive back distractions, Father, help us to. To tune our hearts into you, Father, this morning, and that that uh, you would be here with us and meet us, God, and meet our needs. Father, we thank you for, for your salvation to us, Father. It's nothing of our own merit, nothing of our own power that, that we have been uh, been saved, Father, but it's all because of you and, and of what, you're, what you did on the cross, Father. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> This morning, I would like to uh, talk about the Beatitudes. Um, I'm sure we all know know what those are, probably know them by memory. But I was reading over that passage this past week in my devotions, and when uh, one of the brothers wondered if I could take his place, I uh, looked to this and decided to share out of it. So if we could turn to Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> like to read the uh, first part of the chapter. I think we'll read down to verse 12. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, down to verse 12. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. <clears throat> I'm going to focus on the first six. Um, the first six of the Beatitudes there. <clears throat> And uh, I was just thinking this morning as I was looking over the first 
verse there where it says, and seeing the multitudes. And I was just trying to uh, think of, you know, why that's in there and what uh, significance that might have. Um, right before that, it said, there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. So it sounds like there was a whole bunch of people that were following him, great multitudes. It seemed they knew that he had something that uh, attracted them to him. And then, right before he goes into this whole uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7, I just had this thought, you know, he saw all these people, he saw them as, you know, a great multitude of people needing a shepherd and uh and jesus he had the answer for uh for their problems he had salvation for them he was the the promised messiah and he was here he had came and then he goes into this um this sermon here on the mount it's just a beautiful uh beautiful thing so uh Starting in verse 3 there, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And I, I guess I just wanted to uh, look at that word blessed a little bit. Um, right before, all, before these verses, he has the word blessed. And i just like to read a, a, a definition I found here. It says, There is a desire today to translate the word blessed with happy. But that does not seem to capture all that is intended here in the text, primarily because modern usage of the word happy has devalued it. This term is an exclamation of the inner joy and peace that comes from being right with God. Happiness may indeed be a part of it, but it is a happiness that transcends or surpasses what happens in the world around us, a happiness that comes to the soul from being favored by God. That is why it can call for rejoicing under intense persecution. In some ways, the Lord's declaration of blessed is a pledge of divine reward for the inner spiritual character of the righteous. In other ways, it is his description of the spiritual attitude and state of people who are right with God. I'm sure each one of us would say we want, we want this, blessed, this blessed happiness. <clears throat> and, we, uh, and we see right here how we can get it. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the first one there. And then also I wanted just to bring out, uh, if we look at the opposite of blessed, in uh, Matthew 23, I might just read a few verses there, where Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, he has a whole bunch of woes he pronounces upon them, the scribes and the Pharisees. And I just thought I would bring out one verse here in verse... Uh, 27 says woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites for ye are like unto whited sepulchers which indeed appear beautiful outward but are within full of dead dead men's bones and and of all uncleanness even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity and this whole chapter is talking to them and he says woe unto you Um, they showed an outward, uh, their, their lives showed outward righteousness, but inside there was nothing even close to, to what uh, was being shown on the outside. They didn't have the inner joy and peace that comes from knowing the Lord and being blessed. 
So may God deliver us from that form of, of uh, I guess, what I'm trying to get as that hypocrisy of um, where we don't have that inner, that inner joy and peace where God has not changed us. Um, obviously, to have these things here, we need a change of heart, and God needs to, uh, to uh, give us that new heart so we can endeavor to, uh, to follow after these things that are listed here. Um, also, before I get to this first one here, I want to read out of Luke 4, verse 17 to 20. It says, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. This is Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Guess what I find amazing about this? This was actually written back in Isaiah, this uh, verse 18 and 19, and was a, uh, a prophecy of what was to come. And we see here, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and if we go to the first beatitude in verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I guess, I don't know what that does to you, but it just kind of, I guess, um, not quite sure how to describe it, but uh, we just see that God's, God's prophecy and his, his second coming was being fulfilled. <clears throat> he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and that is us. We are poor. Um, let's see here. This is one thing we need to understand, that if we want to be a part of God's kingdom and of his work, we need to be poor in spirit. And obviously that's a challenge we all face, is to have that, that uh, poor spirit. Um, we can't come rich in spirit thinking we have it all together. And there is an aspect of poor where you are poor in this world's you know, standards. Um, we don't have much money. There's many people that, that live in that um, the word poor also means humility. Someone who is truly spiritually poor and has no arrogance in them, no self-righteousness, no self-sufficiency. They are free from their own pretensions, and therefore they are free for God. <clears throat> the poor person is not excluded because of his poverty, and the rich person, rich person is not accepted because of his wealth. Whatever state we find ourselves in, we must humble ourselves before the Lord in order to be a part of his kingdom. So this includes all of us, whether we're rich or poor in this world's standards. There's, there's kind of a, probably two, two different uh, ways we could take this word poor. <clears throat> and then the promise for us is, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we come before the Lord with that poor, humble spirit, it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What a blessed promise that is for us. Then we go to uh, verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then just going back to this uh, 
verse we read in Luke 4, the next thing he says is, He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And uh, that kind of stood out to me too. It, it somewhat correlates with this, this word mourn, um, for they shall be comforted. That's our God. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And, uh, and this here again, um, it could be, you know, we mourn over um, things in life that happen to us, maybe death or um, pain or grief or whatever. But uh, for those in this world, they don't have hope. If they don't have Jesus in their, in their heart, have a change of heart, there is no, really no hope for them in the middle of their mourning. But for us as Christians, our, our mourning is not without hope. Um, we have hope because we know that death does not have the final victory. Then the promise there is, is that they will be comforted. Uh, Revelations 21, verse 3 says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Obviously, when we get to heaven, we won't have to... uh, by faith or have hope, you know, that we are being comforted because we will be in heaven and, and God, our comforter, will be there. But we also have that, that promise and that hope that God is with us even now when we are in the middle of um, maybe some difficulty or um, situation. There's also the aspect of, of mourning over our sin. Um, as we see our condition before the Lord, we also have that, that uh, heart of mourning. <clears throat> but we can be, uh, we can be uh, assured that if we are poor in spirit and God has redeemed us and washed us with his blood, ours is the kingdom of heaven. So uh, what a comfort that is to us. Okay, verse 5, blessed are the meek. Uh, the meek are those who have a spirit of gentleness and self-control. They are free from malice and a condescending spirit. The meek may, like the poor, have no resources of their own, but then they may. For Moses was described as being meek and humble. But the meek do not exploit and oppress others. They are not given to vengeance and vendettas. They are not violent, and they do not try to seize power for their own ends. In short, they have emulated the nature of Jesus in their lives and learned from him. This does not mean that they are weak or ineffective in life. They may be gentle and humble, but they can and do champion the needs of the weak and the oppressed. That's just a description I had found of of the word meek. Um, And then the promise for that is, for they shall inherit the earth. And I think that could, I guess I didn't study into it a whole lot, but I think that could mean here on this earth, and also, um, in the future, what is to come, we will inherit the earth.
And going on to verse 6, it says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And I guess this here was just is probably fairly self-explanatory as we think of hungering and thirsting after something. Um, I'm sure we could all picture that feeling, you know, when we're, we're hungry and we're thirsty. Uh, it's kind of a feeling of desperation and, and uh, we need to do something because we're feeling faint and sick and we need water and food to survive. And obviously if we didn't have that, we would die. That's what sustains life. And if we apply that to this, this here, are we hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Are we, uh, do we see that if we don't have righteousness in our life, that we are going to die spiritually as well? And uh, I guess just, just a, uh, an encouragement, uh, this is in my life too, just to, uh, just to have that passion and that intense desire for righteousness because that is what we need to make it through this life. Um, does somebody know what that meaning is of righteousness by now? I know I've said it before and others have too. Does someone want to try to say it? Pretty close, yeah. Right standing and right living conformity to the will of God and thought, purpose, and action. That, that has always stuck with me. <clears throat> How do we create a desire and a longing for righteousness? Paul says the spiritual person is one who yields his members as instruments of righteousness. As we endeavor to yield ourselves wholly and totally to Christ and allow his spirit to guide us, he will guide us into righteousness. And then the promise is, is that they shall be filled what better promise could we have? Um, if we are, if you think of uh, being totally filled with something, there's no room for anything else. Um, you're filled and overflowing with righteousness. Uh, yeah, that's that's what we want. There's no room for the world. There's no room for anything else. And I think if we would all take that challenge to heart here in this in this church body, why? Um, church would be heavenly. <laughs> it would be what Jesus would want. Okay, the, the last one here I want to look at is blessed are the merciful. And just another, uh, another uh, quote here. That benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of heart, actually I think this came from Webster's maybe, but that benevolence, mildness, or tenderness of heart which disposes a person to overlook injuries, or to treat an offender better than he deserves. As we go through this, um, this explanation here, I guess I, I thought of Jesus. You know, this is, this is how he was. Um, this describes him very well and how we should be as well. The disposition that tempers justice and induces an injured person to forgive trespasses and injuries and to forbear punishment or inflict less than law or justice will warrant. In this sense, there is perhaps no word in our language precisely synonymous with mercy. That which comes nearest to it is grace. It implies benevolence, tenderness, mildness, pity, or compassion, and clemency, but exercised only towards offenders. Mercy is distinguishing 
Mercy is a distinguishing attribute of the supreme being. Obviously, we need God's help to be that, have that heart of mercy. We can't do that in our own self. Our, uh, our flesh, when someone um, does something to us that hurts us or, or whatever, we want to, uh, we automatically want to give them what they deserve or give something back. But here it says, blessed are the merciful. I think if we, uh, if we respond in the wrong way, it'll dampen our joy. It won't give us that blessed happiness that he's talking about here. <clears throat> God had mercy upon us when we didn't deserve mercy. He saved us. He, was his, he had mercy on us. People who know more of God's mercy will be merciful. It is important then that people have a good understanding of the grace of God in their lives. This will come from the experience of confession of sin and thanksgiving for forgiveness. Two aspects of the believer's walk that often get neglected. Christians sometimes get to the point of thinking that they deserve the grace they have received and they become then intolerant of others, even judgmental. The reality of our own spiritual condition and God's provision must never be forgotten. Truly, God has been merciful to us. Okay, I guess I did have one more here yet. Blessed are the pure in heart. In uh, verse, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This word pure means genuine, real, true, incorrupt, unadulterated. Unadulterated means not mixed or diluted with any different or extra elements, complete and absolute. I guess this just comes down to are we genuine and real in serving the Lord? May God help us with that. Have that single eye to be focused on God's kingdom and what we're here for. And then what does he promise to us? says, for they, uh, let's see here, yeah, for they shall see God. I'm sure we all desire to see the Lord. That's a blessed promise to us. When we are here on this earth, we by faith see God, but one day when heaven will be open, he will be visible to our transfigured eyes and we shall see him. May God help us to be faithful. Till that time comes. I'll leave you with that.